0: What is up, greats, and thanks so much for tuning in today. We've got a special guest on today. His name is Mr. Simon Sinek, and some of you may recognize him from his book, Start With Why, and he is one of the most watched TED Talk speakers uh, of all time with his video called How Great Leaders Inspire Action, and uh, if you haven't seen that video, make sure to check that out. It's linked up on the show notes over at lewishouse.com. But I'm very excited about this episode because we're talking about leaders eat last is for those who want to feel they and their work matter and for those who want to inspire others to feel the same. I'm very excited to talk about this. We dive into a few very important things. One, towards the very end, which kind of stumped Simon for a second, and I'm excited to have you guys hear about it. What I really wanted to learn about, we go into a lot of the stuff on leadership and why leaders eat last and the importance of this, how that all began, where it came from. Uh, We talk about ego and conceit, where most people get it wrong about ego and leadership. But then towards the end, uh, we talk about leadership and family and marriage and kids. And I asked him an important question. I I thought to ask him, do you think you can achieve a huge mission in life and and change the world and inspire the world uh, with a family while taking care of a family, raising a family and being there for one other person? Can you fully lead the world on a huge mission? And his answer was pretty interesting. So make sure to stick around all the way to the very end to hear what Simon says. I'm very excited about this one and let's go ahead and jump right in
1: your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away.
0: What's up, guys? Very excited about today's episode. We've got Simon Sinek in the studio. What's up, man? How you doing? Doing great. And this is actually the first time we've met in person. It is. Although we might have met at Summit Series a few years ago on the ship or something like that. I think like I that. remember you amongst the other thousand people I met. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> I've obviously heard of you from your hugely successful TED Talk, which everyone talks about, which you, we you talk about start with why. And I remember watching it and I was like, wow, man, yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. A few years ago, whatever that was. And I think it's one of the top 10 or five most watched TED Talks of all time, which is pretty powerful. I'm assuming mm-hmm. there's been hundreds of them, especially TEDx Talks. Mm-hmm. So, congratulations. Thank you very much. On all of your success. Thank you. And you've got a new book out, which is Leaders Eat Last. Indeed. And I want to talk about this. Okay. Because when you go on an airplane, which mm-hmm. you go on many, they <laughs> okay. always say, make sure to put your own mask on first. Right. before you assist others. Right. Now, why do you say leaders should in essentially put their mask on second? And it save someone sacrifice your life, the most important miracle is you in the world and sacrifice it to give to others.
1: Uh, it's not quite that's not quite what it means. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't mean like, you know, give up your life uh, necessarily, though sometimes it does, mm. so that others may survive. Right. Um but it's when it counts to uh, sacrifice your interests so that others may survive or that so others may succeed. Um, that's what it's about. And and sort of the closest analogy I can I can give you is like a parent, right? Um, a parent feeds their child before they feed themselves. Now, you would say that's ridiculous. You have to eat. You have to be fed. If you're not fed, then you won't be able to raise your... That's kind of not how it works. Right. We feed our children first. And uh, the title actually came about... Um, while I was doing the research, and I had a meeting with a three-star general in the Marine Corps, and was doing a bunch of research with the Marines, and asked him, you know, what makes the Marines so good at what they do? And he said, officers eat last. And it's not just an idea, it's true. If you go to any chow hall on any Marine base anywhere in the world, you will see them line up in rank order, most junior person first and it's not in any rule book and no one tells them they have to do it really uh-uh. it's just wow. what happens and, and at west point as well um, i don't know i can't gotcha. speak i can't okay. speak for the army I, I only know about this from the marines the marines only got you um, they may but i just don't know right um, and so the, like again it's not in any rule book and it's nobody tells them to do it that's just what happens it's just how it's done it's just how it's done and the reason is for how they view the concept of leadership which is we very often in the business world see leadership as um, um, something to achieve, um, and we see it as the person in charge. They view leadership as um, an an honor and a responsibility to others. So for example, if you visit OCS, which is um, officer, um, what is it? Officer, I always forget it, officer cadet, school, no, whatever it is. It's where the OCS is where they select their officers. Yeah, train their officers. You'll, you'll never hear this language. You will never hear these Marines say, I am a leader of Marines. I believe I have what it takes to be a leader of Marines. I aspire to be a good leader of Marines. Uh, a leader. Uh, see, look, I even screwed it up. You'll never hear them say, I am a leader. I aspire to be a good leader. I believe I have what it takes to be a leader. You'll never hear those words. What you hear is, I am a leader of Marines. I believe what I have it, what it takes to be a leader of Marines. I aspire to be a good leader of Marines. In other words, they don't even say, I am a leader. Like we in the business world say, I'm, I'm a leader. In the Marines, they say, I'm a leader of Marines. That's mm. just how they say it. In other words, even in their vernacular, mm. the concept of leadership is a responsibility to others. Interesting. Um, um, and, it's, and it's an amazing thing. Here's the best part, um, especially when this happens in the field. And I know, I've heard of stories where this has happened in the field, where um, whoever's in charge eats last and actually goes without food because he had his many first mm. and and then they get out into the field and all the men will bring a little bit of food and make sure that their leader gets fed wow and that's what happens that's when our powerful. leaders look after us we look after our leaders and that becomes the symbiotic relationship
0: interesting so what do you think it takes to become a leader then what type of qualities do they possess
1: Um, You know, I I love how the sort of everybody writes a book or an article about sort of 10 ways, you know, the qualities of leader, you have to have charisma, you have to have, you know, vision, you have to have, yeah, sure. Some, some are better than others. in those kinds of things, you know, Uh, some of those things, I think, are very superficial. Uh Um, The depth of leadership. um, I believe there's only one quality. um, And, and that's courage. It's the courage to put yourself after others. It's the mm. courage to sacrifice um, when your life might be more comfortable, more profitable, easier, better, <laughs> uh, and yet when it counts, you choose to sacrifice those things so that others may succeed or gain. Um, just just like being a parent, you know. If mm. you don't have kids, kids are really expensive. You know. If you choose not employees are really expensive. Yeah. You know, if you choose not to have children. You can get a better car. You can get a bigger house. You can go on better vacations. Mm-hmm. You can get a nicer hotel room. More time. More time. But if you choose to have a child, you makes all those things more difficult. You and can't be as selfish. And there's certain sacrifices. Yeah. And I think I think when, it sort of it's funny, when the decision to have a baby is is the wrong decision. Having the baby is the easy part, you know? It's <laughs> the, the fun years. It's, it's the fun part. part. It's, right. Nobody should ever decide if they want to have a baby or not. You know, what they should is decide um, if they want to raise a child. Right. And it's the same for leadership. It's not, you don't decide to be the leader. You don't decide you want to be in charge. It's, do you decide that you're going to commit to a lifetime of service to others? Right. That's kind of what it boils down to. Um, And that's why, you know, not everybody's qualified to be a leader. It's not that everybody's, it's not, it's nothing to do with intelligence or charisma. It's because that decision to put others before yourself. That's hard. You yeah, c- you can get your head cut off. You know, I mean, you know, if you speak out, you know, for the good of others, you could get fired. Yeah. But what you might do is give courage to mm. the re- to others to then to follow what you started. But you might lose your head.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it's tough. You know, I think about kids every now and then, and I feel like I'm too selfish right now to have kids. Exactly. I love what I'm doing in my life and my time and my energy. Right. Doesn't mean I don't it's, want kids. It's nothing
1: to do with children. It's it's not that you. Do, it's nothing to do with whether you want kids or don't want kids. It's that you don't want to raise a child right now. Exactly. Exactly. The
0: Energy. I mean, I think it will be the most amazing thing in the world. But yeah, they say the best. They moment. say the best birth control is other people's children. Yeah, I think hearing screaming babies on airplanes is the best birth control. Right.
1: It's like I love children everywhere except on planes.
0: <laughs> now I want to talk to you about a couple things. One, sure. One vulnerability. Mm. Do you believe a leader needs to be vulnerable in order to be a powerful leader? And I know you talk about you're either a leader or you're not a leader. There's no such thing as a good leader.
1: Well, I mean, look. Of course, there are variations in leadership, but I've sort of given up the, for the large part, this idea of you know good and bad leaders. You know, I think everybody has the capacity for leadership. Everybody. And by the way, leadership has nothing to do with rank or position. You can be the top of the organization and not be a leader. And you can be at the bottom of the or, of the organization and absolutely be a leader. Yeah, it's the course. choice to look after the person to the left of you and the person to the right of you. Mm. At, uh, at in a in an organization, if you also have authority, that's what rank gives you. Then it means you can look after others at scale. Right. But it has nothing to do, you know, with, with leadership um, um, per se. But I believe I believe everyone has the capacity for leadership, um, but not everybody um, has the courage to choose to do it. Mm. Um, which is why there are few good leaders. There are right. few real leaders. Right, right. Um, now, are
0: these great leaders that you talk about or that you that you believe in? Yeah. Do they express the qualities of vulnerability often, or do you think it's yeah showing and, weakness?
1: No, no. Um, it, there's a great irony, right? Mm. Which is which is more than anything else. The home, the um, Homo sapiens, sort of the social, you know, the human being. We're social animals, mm-hmm. and more than anything, we. We crave the feeling of belonging. We yes. crave the feeling of being safe amongst our own. Um, you know, this is why. You know, um, if you go to a, an event and you're by yourself and everyone's a stranger there, and you sort of feel uncomfortable. But if you see one familiar face that you've you met this person them. before, and you may not even like them, you may not even know them, but hey, you recognize up? them, you will make them. You will make a beeline to them and be like, right. "Hey," you know, <laughs> for this very simple reason is it makes you feel safer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh you know, you you very often see neighborhoods form around you know uh, common experience or common mm-hmm. backgrounds or you know race or religion things like this is because we right. want to be around people who quote unquote kind of get us you know it makes us feel safer, um, and so th- this is this is the core of why homo, beings, homo homo sapiens human beings have been successful as a species, which is um, when we form trust when we when we form trust we're willing to fall asleep at night. With the absolute confidence that someone else will watch out for danger for mm-hmm. us, right? Interesting, right? And if we don't trust somebody, then we won't fall asleep at night, and ultimately the entire organization is weaker because of it, right? So when we trust each other, we're more likely to work together to, you know, um, to protect ourselves from mm-hmm. outside dangers or seize opportunities. And does this vulnerability create trust? Correct, because when we willingly demonstrate vulnerability, what we're demonstrating is trust. So. Mm-hmm you know, let's just stick with the falling asleep analogy. That I would fall asleep demonstrates to you, my tribe member, my my colleague, that I'm putting myself in a position of great peril, vulnerability. I, I cannot defend myself. I will be asleep right. because I know that you look after me, wow. right? And, and the same goes for leadership. Um, I was walking down Pennsylvania Avenue with a guy from Palestine, true story. And uh, we... St- stopped in front of the white house and we're standing there looking at you know the white house and he says to me the president of the united states lives there and i'm like it's the white house you know <laughs> he's like no 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 the president of the united states lives right there what he was saying is in democracies we trust our leaders and more importantly our leaders trust us yes we all know there's tons of security around uh, the White House, but it's not visible. There's no razor wire. There's right. no guys walking around with submachine guns. There's no signs that say, you know, if you come here after 6 p.m., shoot to kill order. You know, like it doesn't... You, you could actually climb the fence. I mean, it's not a very daunting right. fence. And it's, in other words, the leader of our country lets us come right up to his house mm. where he actually lives. Like, it's not a fake. He, he sleeps, actually yeah. lives there, <laughs> right? And we let him... We, he, they let us come up to the house. Right. If you go to a dictatorship... You know, the people aren't allowed within miles of the leader's house, the quote-unquote leader, mm. you know, the dictator's house. You know, there is razor wire, there are tanks, there are guys with machine guns, and, and so there is no expression of vulnerability, mm. right? Um, so yes, it is absolutely essential for leaders to demonstrate vulnerability because it, that vulnerability must be mutual. Not only if you fall asleep, will I promise to protect you, but if I fall asleep, I trust that you will protect me. And so, this goes not only physically, but also emotionally. Um, the leader who acts like they have all the answers, by the way, they don't, mm-hmm. you know, leaves no opportunity for others to help. Oh. And so, people don't. And it's not because people are difficult or don't want to help. It's because they've been given no opportunity to because apparently the guy knows it all, right? right? And this is one of the biggest lessons I learned in my own my own life, which is um, when I struggled most in my life was when I thought I had to have all the answers, because I was in charge, Mm quote unquote. And if I didn't, I had to pretend that I did. I had to demonstrate confidence, even if I didn't have any, right? The reality is the total opposite. It's when you admit that you don't know something that other people will come to your aid, not because you're vulnerable and not because they want to intimidate you, it's because you said you didn't know it. And they do. And they're like, I I know that I can totally do that for you. Like you can, you know, (laughs) if you pretend that you know it, it's not that people don't want to help. It's that they just didn't think you needed it. Mm. And so the opportunity to express vulnerability um, is paramount to the building of trust. It doesn't happen overnight, like any relationship. I mean, think about boy meets girl, girl meets boy, you know. First, you know, you go for a drink. And everybody sort of shows off and, you know, puts their best face sure. on. And, and then it's it's as you get to know the person, so the walls come down a little bit, you know, the fears come out, you know, the... Insecurities come out, and the things you don't like start to come out, and you know, and and it's and it's and in time you start to build a relationship. The relationship between leader and follower, and follower and leader, is exactly the same thing. Mm. It is a relationship, and it is it is it takes time to nurture and look after. So, so how does someone in the and it's born out of love, mm, love like love. I mean, and I'm not being I'm not being cheesy. No, I um completely understand. I mean, there's um an amazing piece of footage. So there's a soldier who was just recently awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, mm-hmm. which, as we know, is the highest medal in our land. Um, he was embedded with a company of Marines, and something very bad happened. You know, the Marines were overrun, and he was carrying out the wounded to to get them out of, out of the danger. And one of the medevac helicopters that came in to take away the wounded, sheer coincidence, one of the medics had a GoPro camera on his helmet. So there's this footage of this soldier carrying a Marine on his shoulder, lays him on the floor of the helicopter, bends down and kisses him on the forehead and then walks away and goes back to rescue more. It's all caught on, you can watch it on YouTube, Wow! right? Now, if that's not love, I don't know what is, Mm. right? He bends down and kisses him on the forehead as if to say, I gotcha, we wow. gotcha, you know? It's, it's like, you know, it's what a parent does to their child. They mm-hmm. kiss them to say, it's all right, it's all right. You know, when somebody's in the hospital, when someone's in pain, we touch them. We put our hand on their hand, we put our hand on their on their leg and we, we you know, we, we rub them and we say, don't worry, you'll be okay. Like that sense of touch, that is the greatest expression of love ever there, mm-hmm. if there ever was. Yeah. And this, this, this opportunity, this demonstration of vulnerability, this is a soldier in combat, you know? And most people don't realize this, but in the military, crying is just fine. It's just fine. You know, it, it, it's, it, it, there. I mean, and the Marines will call it often, they call it the intangibles. Mm. But, you know, every now and then you will get a Marine who will admit that the feeling they have is love. It's brotherly love. It's sisterly love. It's love yeah. for each other. And it's love for core. It's love for my brothers and sisters and my family. I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's love. It is, it is the feeling. And I think that you have to build love. You have to earn love. You have to work towards love for the most successful, profitable, and by profitable, I don't necessarily mean money, but most sort of uh, greatest opportunity mm-hmm. for success, relationships. You know, you you work towards love when you meet someone. You, you don't get it immediately, and there's nothing you can say or do that will make it happen. You earn it over time, and you will screw things up on the way, and it is hard, and it is hard, and it is hard. But if you're both willing at some point in some strange, weird way, it's as if you like wake up and press a button. It's as if you sort of like hit this belief button and instantaneously like, oh my God, you wake up one you're like, I, I'm in love. I am in love. don't <laughs> even know how it happened or how I got here, but I'm in love. Mm. And then you find yourself being willing to do the most crazy, irrational things because you are in love. Mm. In other words, irrational things like give up your comfort, give up your safety, like give up your food, move across the country, <laughs> give up your food and eat last. Yeah. It, is, it is something that evolves. You'll it do is, anything. Yeah, so the the concept of eating last is not something Mm. that happens overnight. It is something that you work towards because it's based on trust, right?
0: So yes, vulnerability is king. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com, where their award-winning app, State Farm, lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay. I I want to take this in many places, but I'm going to start with ego and love. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people may think about leaders who have a big ego. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of leaders who do have a big ego.
1: I I think they all do. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: (laughs) Now... (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that, but does that moment defines a great leader as someone who is egotistical, believes they have it all figured out, and uh, <laughs> that's not what ego is. <laughs>
1: that's what conceit is. Okay. Okay.
0: What's okay. the difference between ego then, or what is the definition of
1: ego for ego you? Ego is belief in self. Okay. Right. It, so it's so not bad. So if you only have a no.
0: Uh, I think some people look at ego as like a negative thing. That's
1: only because it's it's misused. I mean, think about it. If you have the choice to have someone on your team, there's only a finite number of personality types, you know. So you have the choice. There's only three. You can have someone on your team who is not at all confident in their own ability. Or you can have someone who's very confident in their ability Mm -hmm. and thinks they're better than everyone else. Or you can have someone who's mm. very confident in their ability and doesn't think they're better than everyone else. Who do you want on your team? It's such a stupid question. It's so mm. obvious. Of course, mm. you want the person who's confident in their own ability and doesn't think they're better than everyone else, right? Sure, because I always want to grow and learn. Well,
0: well that's ego. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Okay? They have a strong ego. What Perfect. they don't have is conceit. Gotcha. Talk to the Marines. The Marines think they are better than everyone else. <laughs> they do not think they're better than other Marines. Mm. Okay? In other words, you, a Marine wants a Marine on their team because... He's, he was, he learned, they train self-confidence. I mean, that's largely what happens in boot camp. It's not this whole break them down, build them up stuff. It's not that. What they take is people who are selfish, like we all are, Mm -hmm. you know, we we want to prove that we're good enough. And they teach them that they will not succeed without the help of others. And they teach them that they're capable of more than they thought they were. And they learn confidence, but they do not learn conceit. Mm. And so, yeah, to be a leader, you have to have ego. Because you you have to have, um, what you don't want is conceit. In other words, humility. Um, the greatest definition of humility I ever heard was from Bob Gaylor, who was the fifth master sergeant of the Air Force. And he said, do not confuse humility with meekness. Humility is being open to the ideas of others. Right? So when people say, oh, no, you, know, you pay them a compliment, they're like, no, no, that's not, no, you don't, that's, that's meekness. That's faking it. I mean, that, that, that's ridiculous. I, I've met some remarkable leaders whose egos are so outsized. I, I'm amazed they can fit in the room. Their heads are so big. But when you say, sir, I have an idea, they go, let's hear it. Mm. And they don't want to debunk you and prove themselves right. They genuinely want to hear your ideas. Even though, think, even though they think they are so smart they are smart enough to know they don't know everything. Mm. And they're smart enough to know that it's the solution from someone junior or someone from the outside that may be the thing that they're looking for or that they neglected to see. These people have huge egos. <laughs> what they lack is conceit. Mm. And, and so, yeah, I believe ego is, is, is very important. It's important. Yeah.
0: Belief in self.
1: And, and believe in self. And by the way... You hope followers have ego. You hope leaders have ego, you know? You want everybody to have ego. You want everybody to have self-confidence. You want everybody to believe that they're capable of more than they thought. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the only way you'll ever learn that you're capable of more than you thought you were is if you have someone who's got your back. Mm -hmm. A teacher, a parent, a guardian, a leader, a coach, a boss, it doesn't matter. It's someone who said, I will not let you fall. I will not let you get hurt. A parent, ride the bicycle. I can't do it. Yes, you can, (laughs) I can't do it. I will hold the back of the seat. And then we Uh turn around and you realize dad's not holding the back of the seat Uh anymore. And you realize you're capable of more than you thought you were. (laughs) Same in everything. It's someone who gave us a chance because they believed in us. They saw something we didn't think we saw. Um, And they let go of the back of the seat. Mm. And if we fell or if we screwed it up, they go, try again. Maybe they let go too soon. Mm. You know, it happens. It's not a perfect science.
0: So it's important to have ego to be a powerful leader, but it's also it's important a, to have ego to be anybody. Okay. It's important <laughs> to have ego to be anyone if you want to achieve any goal. <laughs> yeah. And uh but if, to do it with humility. Yeah. Okay.
1: And by the way, I'm saying these things in in I'm speaking idealistically. Sure. Obviously, we all have our insecurities. Of course. Even people with huge egos have their dark sides the and have their weaknesses. Insecurities, yeah. You know, and 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 again it goes back to vulnerability, which is are those people with the big egos willing to tell you or share? And Not with everybody. I don't believe in this, like, put it on YouTube, you know, sure. write a blog about... You know, you can if you want. Um, very often, it empowers others. I know that when I've expressed the things that I struggle with, you know, people are immensely grateful. I get more responses for those postings because, A, it demonstrates I'm human. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people build up images of you or you build up an image of yourself that aren't true. But it also demonstrates that everyone has a capacity to overcome these things. Right. Um, but uh, you know, there are many other things that I don't share publicly, but I do share them with people who I trust, you care about, yeah. And and they keep me safe. You ask my my team, what's your job? All of the you know the, my team who's closest to me, they'll all say protect Simon. And they don't mean from they don't mean from the outside world. They mean I've expressed vulnerability to them. I, they know what I'm good at. They know what I'm bad at. They know what my Achilles heels are. And 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 they want me to be at my best. So we'll work together. We'll block and tackle. You mm-hmm. know where I'm where I'm bad at something. Somebody will jump in. You know and 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 the great irony of it is is I see my job the same way. My job is to protect them, mm-hmm. to make sure that that they can work to their greatest potential. You know, not put them in harm's way. You know, take risks every now and then and let them fail and let be okay with that. And like that's my job. Sure. You know,
0: why did you get into this work?
1: Uh, I fell into it. I tripped over something and I woke up, you know, it was, it was a, like, it was an accident.
0: Um, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it, was it a, was it an experience or something? Uh, there happened? are two,
1: there are two, there are two significant events. You know, my books are semi autobiographical, mm. you know, it's not obvious, but sure they both it's are like Trojan horse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And <laughs> that's why I take my work seriously is because mm. it's deeply, deeply, deeply personal. Mm. Um, so I can tell you there, there are two defining events that, sort of set me on these, one that set me on the path and one that sort of kicked me in the ass. Uh, The first one was where Start With Why came from, right? My story is not that different from many others. Um, I started a small business, you know, I was doing strategic marketing consultants, you know, consulting, it was great. It was exciting. And in my fourth year, I lost my passion for what I was doing and struggled. Like you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I falsely in the U S this is in the U S yeah. I falsely believed I had to have all the answers. And if sure. I didn't, I pretended I did, sure. you know, there's nothing wrong with the quality of work. Our company did good work. We had amazing clients, mm-hmm. you know, by all outside appearances, I should have been very happy with my life. I was making a living. I was my own boss, the American dream, right? Um, except I hated waking up in the morning and I didn't want to do it. And I lost confidence in myself and refused to tell anybody, which means that nobody came to my aid, which Mm. made it worse. And uh, I was lonely and probably if I had to diagnose myself depressed, you know, it was a dark period. I was paranoid. I was convinced I was going to get evicted from my apartment. I don't know why, but I was, you know, I just, I, I, I became very isolated. And there was, thank goodness, a confluence of events that came together that, uh, helped me see this pattern this this naturally occurring pattern that exists in biology that every single organization on the planet even our own careers always functions on these three levels what we do how we do it and why we do it Mm. and that's when i realized i have to have all three i knew what i did i could tell you how i did it but i couldn't tell you why i became Mm -hmm. obsessed and it restored my passion to levels that i'd never experienced before it just was an amazing and beautiful thing once um, you figured out your why. Yeah, once I figured out my why and more importantly helped others how to figure out theirs. Yeah. So as we do and we discover something beautiful, we tell our friends. So I told my friends, I mean, that's what we do. You see a great movie, you tell your friends to go see your, you know, it's like, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, so I told my friends and my friends started making crazy life changes. My friends invited me to their homes to share it with their friends. I would charge people a hundred bucks to find their why. I was just doing it on the side. <laughs> right. And I just kept getting more invitations and it just sort of grew very organically. And because I believed in it and because it was so personal to me, it was, it brought me unbelievable joy to do it. And, you know, everything about it, you know, I got invited to do this TEDx talk. um, The 2011? 2011? 2009. 2009. Yeah. And I found out, you know, it was, it was becoming popular on YouTube, which um, was nice. And I found out it was put on TED.com the week it was put on TED.com. I mean, like I didn't have any, like nobody called me to tell me, you know, um, and I never expected it to, to grow as fast as it did. There's no marketing plan behind it. There's no social media strategy behind it. You know, the reason it's, it's spread so far and wide is because of the generosity of others. It's because mm. somebody chose to send it to somebody who they believed it would resonate. Right. Um, and that's sort of one of the lessons I learned early with this concept of why, which is you show up to give. You know, so many people to show up, show up to, and I've, you know, I've done a few TEDxs, and so I sort of meet the people who are there. And so many people show up, for themselves because of the prestige or because they know that it'll boost their careers which it does um they use it as a calling card to sell something mm-hmm. it's it's there's a lot of selfish motivations that go into these things especially now because it is such a powerful medium yeah um and it's really hard to still show up and say it doesn't matter I'm here for you I'm here to give and it wasn't about the audience it was just about those 35 50 people in the room and you know i always try to tell people like if you go look at my ted talk the video quality is terrible
0: <laughs> there's like a mic yeah the change. microphone yeah. is like
1: making noise at the beginning they actually change my change. mic in midstream and yet it becomes one of the most popular ted talks of all time in other words it's not about don't the, worry about the powerpoint yeah, like, it's exactly. fine yeah like so you miss the page the end is not ever. it's like it's okay you right, know right. and so it's it's terribly imperfect which i kind of love mm. um but I'm, I'm fully aware that the only reason that I enjoy any success is because of the generosity of others. That, that's mm. all. So that was the first watershed event that sent me on this path, um, which was this darkness that I had to overcome. And by the way, I did not overcome it by myself. It was the the love of close friends who came to me and said, you're not okay. Mm. And we don't know what's wrong, but we got your back. How long were you depressed for? It was a, it, I mean, uh, who, you know, these things... You fall into them. You don't sort of trip into them. you sort of just sure. slow. So <laughs> I can tell you without Slug a doubt, dead. it was probably three months at least. Okay. You know, I can tell you, I can remember September to December 05 pretty wow. pretty, pretty vividly. Um, the second event came in August of 2011. Uh, so here I am, sort of this whole why thing is moving fast. Um, and I had the opportunity to go to Afghanistan with our United States Air Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything went wrong on that trip. Yeah, I remember that hearing the story. Yeah, it's yeah. it was a very intense trip, uh, and everything went wrong. And it was the experience I had there that punched me in the face and really taught me what fulfillment mm. means and where it comes from. Um, and that kind of set me on the journey for this next book this mm. next story this next chapter in, in my life you know all of my books are incomplete mm. you know because they're they're stages of a journey you know um and uh you know this sort of picks up where start with why leaves off and it it's not finished i i don't know if i'll ever get to the next stage but it's incomplete right um but uh you know i i learned it hit me in the face, and I became obsessed with understanding why Why would these remarkable people trust each other with their lives? Why would they give their lives? Like, who does that? You know, who volunteers the possibility of losing your life? You have a family of kids, so that the guy to the left of you and the guy to the right of you goes home to his or her kids and husband and wife, you know? It's like, I didn't understand it. Mm. And my initial conclusion was they're just better people. That was my initial conclusion. They're just better than us, and the concept of service in the military attracts them. I don't know, you know. And the more I started to study, and the more I started to learn, I realized it wasn't the people; it was the environment. There's certain environments that can be created in which the natural reaction. So we are reactive animals. If you put us in the right environment, or you put us in any environment, we will react to our environments. You know, that's who we are. And so you can take a good per, you can take a good person and put them in a caustic environment with toxic leadership. And those people are capable of horrible things, right? right? Like some of the things that happen, you know, you can can be dramatic and talk about Nazi Germany, or you can be less dramatic and talk about, you know, (laughs) Goldman Sachs. (laughs) Um, But, you know, in the investment banks, the fact that some of these bankers were capable of making decisions that often knowingly weakened an economy, and ironically their own companies, Mm. um, they terribly, terribly, terribly selfish behaviors. It's not because they're bad people. It's because the environments in which they work, um, the natural biological reaction to the environments is selfishness, paranoia, and cynicism. Um, When we are in healthy environments, um, the natural reaction is trust and cooperation. Mm. And so that's what I learned, which is more often than not, um, those in the military find themselves in the right kind of environments in which trust and cooperation naturally thrive. Mm. Um, Most corporate environments strangely, <laughs> most corporate environments uh, are not. And this is not some case study thing. It's not like I went around and looked at the best companies. The way I came to this realization was I went back to the Paleolithic era and said, okay, homo sapien has only been on this planet for 50,000 years. Why did we survive and all the other hom- hominids die? We, we coexisted with some of them, you know? Mm. What is it that we were capable of or what did we possess? And it's not just our bigger brains, you know? Punch a guy in the face with a big brain he's the one who falls over, you know? Right. So it's like, there could have been very strong animals that could have over, overwhelmed us, but they didn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons we we've survived and thrived is because we're social, because we work together. We're tribal. Yeah. We are naturally tribal animals. And what I learned was that the natural environments that need to exist for us to trust and cooperate and, and, and overcome the dangers that threaten us and seize the opportunities are the exact same conditions that exist in great organizations. And, um, and that's why they trust and cooperate. Mm. So it's all environmental.
0: Mm. Now, what's your thoughts on emotional intelligence? How important is it for a leader to be emotionally intelligent in how they respond to yeah. fears, you know, whatever it may be, yeah. anxiety, stress to overcome? Yeah. What's, uh, what's your thoughts uh, on that?
1: So I would, I would call emotional intelligence something different. Okay. Right? So let's talk about IQ, like sort of intelligence intelligence Mm -hmm. right i would equate intelligence with speaking right i'm going to tell you smart things right look how smart i am right (laughs) don't get me wrong really valuable yeah you kind of want smart people to tell you smart things we're we're really glad that sort of marie curie kind of told us what she thought you know it's (laughs) like we're kind of glad that alfred nobel said something you know so there's nothing wrong with speaking right but intelligence i equate to speaking right? EQ, emotional intelligence, I equate to listening. Hmm. Right? And um, and so effective communication, which is what we as social animals require, is a combination of speaking and listening. Now, we're all pretty good at speaking <laughs> and we all like to speak, um, but you re- we really have to learn to listen. And listening is not the same as hearing. You know, um, listening is not even hearing all the words that are spoken. What
0: well, they're not saying.
1: Right. Listening is, is, is working hard to understand the meaning of what is being spoken. Mm. And so when you talk about fear, anxiety, and all of these other things, that's what listening is. And I think effective leaders learn to listen. They learn to listen. They learn to hear what individuals or a group. This is, I think, where Steve Jobs' genius was. It's not that he, he was able to see the future. It's that he listened Right? It's that he, w- he was able to hear that people struggled with their technology and he realized that if technology is to really be valuable in our lives, then we have to adapt the technology to fit the way we live our lives and not change the way we live our lives to fit the technology. It's ridiculous. You should have to learn an entirely new language to use a PC. Why don't we make the PC fit the way we naturally think and do things? you know, which eventually Microsoft copied and called Windows, you know, Mm. that, you know, it was ridiculous that we couldn't even work the phones and you had to read a manual to use your phone. There was too many things. In other words, it's telling us that we have to change the way we live our lives to fit the technology. He said one button. Okay. They changed the technology to fit our lives. Mm. He listened. Yeah. It's, it's called brilliant active listening. Um, he was a brilliant listener, you know, for all his bombast, he was a brilliant listener. Um, And I think all good leaders are. Um, There's a great story of what listening means. Um, Bob Chapman, this story is not in the book, but Bob Chapman is in the book. This uh, CEO of a uh, company in uh, St. Louis. The company's called Barry Waymiller. Amazing company. Amazing company. The people trust each other and look after each other. It's just the most incredible thing. Mm. Anyway, Bob Chapman tells this story of how he learned what listening is. And uh, he, he and his wife are having a baby. And... She calls down to him, Bob, come up. I want to ask you what you think of the wallpaper I chose for the nursery. Well, Bob, wanting to be a good listener, wanting to be a good husband, uh, turns off the game, you know, Uh, (laughs) good, it's good. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't scream out, come down, you know, he gets up from his chair and goes upstairs, repeats to himself what he's been asked. Tell me what you think of the wallpaper. I'm going to be a good husband. He walks in, she holds up the wallpaper and says, what do you think of the wallpaper I've chosen? And he says, um, I don't like it, being honest. <laughs> and she throws the paper at him. She throws the roll of wallpaper at him because he wasn't listening. What he failed to hear was she was never asking what he thought of the wallpaper. What she was asking is, do you think I'm qualified to be the mother of our child? And he said, no. Oh. Exactly. Because when somebody does that, they say, you know, do I know what the right decisions are for our baby? That's what, that's what she's asking in this period of insecurity. Right. And so what he should have done is held her close and said, can you believe we're having a baby? I love you so much. And then the next day say, can we talk about the, the wallpaper? That's listening. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So he got it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we're, you know, a lot of us are bad and I, and, and here, here's one of the greatest things. Here's one of the easiest tricks, uh, for listening. And, and again, listening is not repeating back what you heard. You know, listening is understanding the motivation of why it was said in the first place. Mm, I, right? like that. I like so that. So I'll lot. tell you a true story. So I, was, I spoke at a large military event where there are what they call a rainbow force in the audience. So members of all the different services, mm-hmm. all different uniforms in the audience. And I told a story. In fact, it was the Afghanistan story. And there was a soldier who stood up and he was pretty senior. He was a colonel and sort of kind of went at me a little bit. And I realized he misunderstood something I said. And so I attempted to clarify. And he went at me again. And, it, and I attempted to clarify. And he wouldn't let me out. And it started to get uncomfortable for me. Mm. And it started to get pretty uncomfortable for the oh. whole audience. <laughs> right? And, you know, sort of eventually the event ended. And the, the, general, <laughs> the general who invited me came up to me and said, I'm so sorry. You know, you're our guest. I, I, that shouldn't have happened. I will deal with it, he said. And I told the general, please don't deal with it. What I want you to do is go ask that soldier if he's okay. In other words, the single greatest asset you have as a listener is empathy, Mm. right? So he didn't go yell at him and said, who do you are? What do you think you're doing? Embarrassing me, embarrassing us. Like, do you, you know, why did you do that? He went up to the soldier afterwards. I talked, I talked to the general later. He went up to the soldier and said, are
0: you okay? How's your family? And the
1: soldier revealed that he was in, he was, in theater just a week before and saw some horrible things and I touched a nerve. He was extremely apologetic mm-hmm. as opposed to being defensive right. and expressed how he was out of line instead of defending his actions and was grateful to that general for having concern for him. Mm. And so the way to listen is to have empathy. Like what is the mm. reason they're telling me this? Not as powerful. It's much more powerful. And so by the way, it goes both ways, you know, Like our our leaders, our bosses need to have empathy for us. So when we screw up, you don't fire somebody who has performance issues. You ask them what's going on in their lives. Mm. You know, at the same time, if our bosses berate us and yell yell at us, we don't say, that guy's a bastard. We go to our bosses and say, you okay? Right? Empathy. Mm. Empathy is pretty much the only motivation for Mm. anything.
0: That's powerful.
1: Yeah. And again... It's really hard because sometimes people say things to you that are hurtful yeah. or personal or mean or out of line. You know, do you have the capacity to, for empathy? Do you have the capacity to hear what they're saying and express concern for the reason they may be saying it? Now, sometimes it's a personality clash. Sometimes there is nothing, you know, right. but, you know but, but leaders have empathy. Mm. Um, that's what earns them the right to be called leaders. And again, remember, never confuse leadership with rank has nothing to do with it. Mm, interesting. And the best leaders are followers. The best leaders are followers. And mm. the best followers are leaders. Right? Think mm. about it. Great leaders follow something. Martin Luther King believed that there is a higher law. He believed that there was uh, the laws of man and the laws of a higher authority. And not until the laws of man were consistent with the laws of a higher authority would we live in a just world. He was a follower of the higher authority. Sure. That's what made him the leader, because he chose to follow. Wow, huh? You know, Gandhi believed in a higher law. Mm-hmm. We chose, he chose to follow. And so when we talk about servant leaders, what we mean is, it's not that they're here to serve per se. I mean, yes it does, but what it means is they are in service. They are servants. They're servants to a higher cause. So to a purpose. So to call it could, a vision, a purpose, you know, religion, a spirit, a spirit. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Something, yeah. But it provides guidance. I mean, think how we describe our own leaders. How, why, why do you follow that? He provides guidance. He provides direction. He tells us his vision. Well, what do you think the leaders are getting it from? Not from nothing, right? right? Um, that's why vision in a company is so important because what are the leaders following, right? And without the vision, they follow the results, they follow the daily machinations oh, the what and the of what how. Yeah, they follow the daily machinations of a, of, a, of a of a stock value, mm-hmm. right? That's what you're following. Like that's what giving your life purpose. And you find, th- I mean, there's great research on this. Stanley Milgram, uh, mm-hmm. one of the paramount researchers on this, that when we have a sense of a higher authority, be it a vision, a purpose, uh, whatever it is, um, we're more likely to make the quote unquote right decision. When we don't have a sense of a higher authority, we're more likely to listen to the authority figure that's standing in front of us. And so uh-huh. if you think about a lot of CEOs that, quote unquote, lack vision, in other words, nothing to follow, who do they listen to? Wall Street. Well, isn't that ironic that these people who call themselves leaders are actually doing as they're told by somebody else? Mm. Hmm. So, and the best, so the best leaders are also followers, which mm. means the best followers, the people devoted to a cause bigger than themselves, become the leaders. So what are you following? I I wake up every single day um, to inspire people to do what inspires them. I fundamentally believe that fulfillment is a right and not a privilege. And I find it inadequate that only a few people get to wake up every morning and say, I love my job or I love Mm -hmm. my life. I find that terribly unfair. And it's not a lottery. It's not for the lucky few who get to discover it or find it. We are all entitled. We have a right to be fulfilled in life. Mm. And so I have a vision of a world in which the vast majority wake up every single day inspired to go to work and come home every day fulfilled by the work that they do and feel safe while they're at work. Mm. It's not complicated. Yeah. Um, um, and, and it takes great leaders to get us there. And anyone can volunteer to be that leader. You know, we have to choose to be the leader we wish we had. Um, mm. and that is what I follow. That is what I believe. And that I, that's what I work tirelessly towards. And I'm looking to join the army and, and build the army of those who want to do it with me. I mean, you know, it's a jigsaw puzzle, you know, n- no one piece makes up the whole puzzle. Right. I only have one piece of the puzzle, but it, you know how a jigsaw puzzle works, right? First you dump out all the pieces and then you put the picture against the, The wall or whatever against you know and you look at the picture as you do the jigsaw puzzle you can't just take random pieces and make make you have to see what you're going towards so my job in this in this jigsaw puzzle is i'm the one pointing at the picture I'm the one, like, I'm out there preaching. My, my, my talks, my, my, my writings, uh, you know, my job in this, in this team, in this army, is, is I'm the one pointing at the picture, reminding of the thing we're trying to build, reminding everybody of the thing we're trying to build. And then all I'm asking for is everybody who has a piece of the jokes or puzzle who they believe would help build this vision to just come down to the table and just put it on the table mm. and we'll find the right fit and we'll find where it goes. Like, we'll figure that out together. Sure. And by the way, we don't need a complete puzzle to make the picture. Like we can have a sense of it, sure. mostly. Right, you know, right. so we don't need to change the. We don't need to change everybody. We just need to get most of it. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I I don't have a large corporation. Other people do. They have the opportunity to build a, a, an environment in which people feel safe. Mm-hmm. Do that. That's your piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Right. Other people are building tools to help those people, etc. 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 We all, if we believe in this picture, if we look at this picture and go, oh, that's pretty." then then we have the responsibility to bring our, our pieces uh, sure. to the table.
0: So what's your biggest fear in in this vision, in this higher purpose? Um, what's your fear, your personal
1: fears? Um, I mean, my fears are not that much different to everybody else's. You know, um, I, I believe in momentum. I don't believe I'll ever achieve this vision in my lifetime, but I would like to see that it's making some progress before I die. Like I'd like to die and say, all right, it, it's going, you know. Mm-hmm. So I guess I fear that that it that it either won't find its momentum or if it does that that if I am incapable of releasing myself from it, then it will die then it'll die with me and I I desperately don't want that to happen. I don't think that will happen. Right. Um I don't know. My fears are like everybody else. I mean, they're pretty mundane. You know, I'm afraid that those who I've made myself vulnerable to will hurt me. Mm. I'm afraid that the risks I've taken to expose myself to people and share them sort of my you know parts of me that are you know buried deep inside that they will you know not keep those things safe.
0: Mm. I don't think my fears
1: are that different from anybody else's.
0: Have you ever been married? No. No. Let me ask you a question about this.
1: <laughs> Am I going to get myself in trouble?
0: <laughs> is this, is this where is this where I say something
1: and will then never get married? <laughs>
0: Do you think You can be as big of a leader that you want to be being married. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Where does it all depend? You know, the choice to be a leader is the choice to be a parent. And so to actually be a parent or to be in a relationship and also be a leader means that you have two families which means if sacrifice is a is, is the criteria for leadership, it's the criterion for leadership, the willingness to sacrifice, right? It means that sometimes you'll have to sacrifice one for the other. And so I would imagine that it's about balance, mm. that your one family understands that you're responsible to your wife and maybe your kids or your husband and your kids, and that they are willing to take one for the team now and then so that you can go look after that and likewise that your family and your spouse um understand that you are in service to that and and your spouse is deeply deeply supportive of of that vision that you have so i think the risk is imbalance. and look it is imperfect and it will go out of balance here and there sure. but but yeah it's it's entirely possible because people do it you know mm. i couldn't say it's impossible because there's empirical evidence to the contrary <laughs> um I, i'm not a, am not <laughs> I don't think at this point in my life, the funny thing is, it's funny you're getting me thinking now, you know, I think Mm. when I was younger, I didn't have the capacity for both. Mm. And I think there's a reason I'm not married, which is I was, um, I wasn't willing to sacrifice the cause for the relationship. For one person. For one person. The relationship to me was always subordinate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, the good news is both, I've learned that, that I can, you Mm. know, find balance. And I think also I've worked, I've made certain sacrifices in my life that that the movement has found some momentum. In other words, I'm not the only person out there banging the drum, right? Which affords
0: me the freedom to go and love another Mm. and not just my cause. Because on one hand, I feel like having that love, you do crazy things and you fill yourself up. Yeah, you get on a plane and travel coast to coast to coast. But like, that's stupid, you know? Right, right, right. You fill yourself up, which could then, you could give that love away. Mm on a greater scale or if it's out of balance, that relationship, it could also, if you're not a strong enough leader, I think everyone's going to be emotionally, mm. you know, feeling something different when they're in a relationship, depending on how it's going. Will that take you back from your vision and how long will that take you back for? And is it worth it to have the love? And then maybe, well, I think, there? I think that I've lo- the thing that I've learned
1: is yeah, a great article. that's floating on the internet right now about dating your spouse. You know that the, I'm I, I'm married and I'm dating somebody. Sure, I'm actually dating my spouse. You yeah. know, and um, I I think that's such a great concept. And I think the lesson that I've learned is that the person with whom I choose to share a life and who chooses to have me share theirs, you know, is every bit involved in my vision as I am involved in theirs. I.e., I feel safe and supported mm-hmm. and feel that I can more likely achieve this mad vision of changing the world, you know, because they're in my life, not just in spite of them being in my life. And I, right. I, I think that has been the biggest thing I've learned in the past, even just a couple of years, I think. And that's the mistake I've made in my previous relationship. So, you know, uh, yeah.
0: Who knows? Well, I think we have a, a whole other conversation about this that I could go on. <laughs> oh, off. the time's got- <laughs> up. Oh, look at that. Oh, too bad. <laughs> I've got many other questions <laughs> that I'd love to ask. Right, definitely next time we actually get on and do this, which hopefully will come back. Um, I want to talk about being of you know, serving those who serve others. Yeah. I really like that.
1: I feel so like that's that, well that's what f- by the way that is what I've learned the definition of fulfillment is mm-hmm. the f- definition of fulfillment is the willingness to serve those who serve others I love it. so it doesn't mean blind service serving everybody it doesn't mean everybody needs my help that's like you know that's like saying I love everyone on this planet it's just not true sure, some of them sure. are bastards and you just don't want to. <laughs> they just you don't love them you don't, you don't right. even like them forget oh, about right, love them right. like there are some people you just don't like <laughs> and that's okay you know it's about serving those who serve others mm-hmm. and that's what service is and, and this is why I'm sort of I have trouble with the self help industry. Mm. You know, it's 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 the self help industry is very emblematic of our society these days. And the self help self help industry sort of started out around the nineteen seventies and has grown exponentially year after year after year. And I, I can't I can't help but enjoy the irony that if the self help industry was working so well, wouldn't their revenues be in decline? You know, because it would be working, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, we've become a very selfish society, which is what can I do to find the job I love? What can I do to find my life purpose? What can I do right. you know, to you know, lose 10 pounds? And we've forgotten that fulfillment actually comes from what can I do to help the person next to me lose 10 pounds? What mm. can I do to help the person next to me sure. find their life purpose? What can I do to help the person next to me find the job that they love? And yeah. that's where fulfillment comes from. Mm. And I'll leave you with this, which is that idea is not new. And if you look at something like Alcoholics Anonymous, which has been successful for over 80 years or something like that, helping people uh, beat this addiction of alcoholism. And it all boils down to the 12th step. Now we know the 12th, we, we joke about the 12 step program and we all sort of joke about the first step, you know, admit you have a problem, okay? But it's the 12th step that matters the most. It's, it's the keystone. And alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous knows that if people master all 11 steps, but not the 12th, the odds are pretty high that they're going to start drinking again. Mm. But if they master the 12th step as well, they will beat the disease. Mm. What's the 12th step? The 12th step is the commitment to help another alcoholic. Mm. Service. Being a a mentor, being whatever. In other words, the only way you beat the disease of alcoholism is when you choose to help someone else beat the disease of alcoholism. Amazing.
0: And fulfillment is exactly the same. Amazing! I love it. Well, final question. Yeah, I ask everyone. Sure. What's your definition of greatness?
1: Uh, I I think
0: we've just talked about it for an
1: hour. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, sum it up. Yeah my my definition of greatness is the willingness to put your interests aside so that others may prevail. You know, the willingness to put your own greatness aside so that others may be great. Love
0: it. Nice man. Where can we find you online, and where can we get the book?
1: Uh, all the standard places, you know, it's available at fine bookstores everywhere, and <laughs> and some not so fine ones for that matter, <laughs> you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and small local bookshops as well. Sometimes, um, uh, what else? At Simon Sinek on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, SimonSinek.com dot Simon, com. Uh, that's the dot yeah, com or LeadersEatLast dot com. Both cool. of those work uh what else is awesome. the usual facebook instagram you, you know, all the usual you cool. know yeah. well
0: make sure <laughs> make sure everyone goes out and buys the book and uh i appreciate you for coming on and being so open and vulnerable and sharing your fears oh, thanks for giving me yeah. a safe space yeah i appreciate it Thanks, Simon. <laughs> my pleasure So there you have it, guys. Thanks so much for checking this out. Again, very interesting, all the stuff that Simon talks about. And what do you think about the last question that I asked about leadership and achieving your mission in life with with kids and with marriage? What are your thoughts? Go ahead and leave your comments over at the show notes. You can head over to schoolofgreatness.com or lewishouse.com and check out the show notes with Simon. And leave a comment, share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and let me know what you think. With that, guys, I'm super pumped for what's to come with the School of Greatness podcast. We have some amazing guests coming up, and uh, the year has just begun. So strap in and get ready for an amazing ride, and make sure to go out there and do something great. <laughs> True to the game, because the game would be true to you. If you try to shortcut the game, then the game's gonna shortcut you. If you put forth the effort, you know, good things will be bestowed upon you. You know that's truly about the game, and in some ways, that's about life too.